0: In Brazil, the joke goes that God gave them the best footballers in the world, but compensated the rest of us by giving them the worst administrators. It goes for the whole world of global sport, for there are few areas of public life so regularly ridden with problems of governance, probity and competence. I'm with Sundar Katwala, author of Democratising Global Sport and an advocate for change. He's currently General Secretary of the Fabian Society, one of Britain's oldest think tanks. Sundar, you're quite unusual. You're a policy analyst and a political animal who's also written about
1: sport. What do you say to those that argue that sport and politics don't mix? It seems the most absurd argument you could come up with. It's difficult to think of anything more political than sport. Yet, you know, if there's a commentary going on on the BBC and something a bit political comes up, you can imagine that one of the footballers say, politics, we don't do that. And If you can't break out of that, I think we'll have what we have, which is no scrutiny, no transparency, no accountability. And as supporters of sport, if nothing else, we're ill-served by that. This thing, sport, has as much cultural, social and now economic power as just about anything else you can think of. Governments get very involved in it very quickly. We've got to ask how to interrogate that. Why would governments get involved
0: in sport? What's in it for them, do you think?
1: I think there's massive public interest, there's a very strong sphere of identity, there's legitimacy to be gained from sporting success. It's difficult to think of a dictatorship that hasn't thought that getting involved with sport would be its link to the people. And I think that's part of the problem then as to why we think, well, if dictatorships do that, the rest of us should stay out of it but i think the opposite is true if sport is a sphere of competing over identity and values then hopefully people with democratic values will get involved as well i think about nelson mandela and the Springboks, shirt the rugby world cup that is a very very resonant moment of reconciliation i'm not sure if anything else you could have done in the democratic south africa would have carried quite so much power
0: Sports changed over the 20th century. It's always been political, but there's something different about it now from 100 years ago. If you had to sort of sketch a picture of the big changes in the nature of sport and its relationship to politics and economics and so on, how would you characterise it?
1: What's most striking is just how much the scale of sport has changed in the spectacle of sport and the sheer amount of money that's involved in it. And so, you know, in a couple of generations, if you think about Bobby Charlton starting out with a footballer and being on a maximum wage and earning a few quid, the difference between that and the megastars of today is absolutely world apart. But what also struck me was actually how little had changed in the way that it was run.
0: How exactly is sport run? How would you characterise the way sport is generally governed around the world?
1: Well, firstly, I think it's governed pretty badly. Secondly, I think we live in an age of transparency and accountability where anything that's done by government, by military, by business, it's always being scrutinised. We have this age of transparency and accountability and people always asking questions. And what really struck me was, here's the most high-profile thing any of us can think about, and it seems to get away with paying no attention to the scrutiny. I think it's governed in a very... Oligarchic, very autocratic way, and it was the process by which that came about that I was interested in. I'm really interested in the question you yourself pose: How could it get to this position?
0: How could such an extraordinarily high-profile economic and cultural sector like sport be so incredibly unexamined, and in the organisations that run it and hold it in effect in trust for the rest of us seem? How do they get to the position where they could feel impervious to public inquiry and government demands and so on?
1: Partly it's power and popularity. Once the thing kicks off, if they haven't wrecked it entirely, the rest of us keep our eye on the ball. And whatever the shenanigans that have gone on, whatever the scandals, once the whistle blows... You're concentrating on the sport. But we saw so many crises over a period of 10 and 15 years that that getting away with it was called into question.
0: What sort of crises are you thinking of? If you had to pick one or two that epitomise the problems with the governance of sport in this world, what would you pick?
1: I was writing this at the end of a period that was the sort of end of an era as well, because Samaranch, who had transformed the Olympic Games, was coming to the end of his period. Have a launch. The Brazilian in football had done the same. So this era was ending, but it was ending in a very tarnished way. I mean, you had the Salt Lake City Olympics, a massive bribery scandal about how they got the game. At the same time, you, you had the Tour de France, drugs testing, Nobody knew if they could believe it at all. I think the whole sport of athletics and drugs testing is one of those things where you're blown away by what's happened and then the next thought that's in your head is, but is it real or not? So in in so many sports we saw match-fixing scandals and you you saw that these governance structures which seem to have a sort of never-apologise, never-explain mentality were in a lot of trouble in the media culture they were in and yet they were just able to get through it.
0: Since those scandals broke in the early part of the 21st century, match-fixing, gambling, so on and so forth, there have been some attempts at reform in the world of global sport. The International Olympic Committee in particular has tried, I think, to put its house in order and change around the edge of some of the things that it does. What kind of reforms have they been introducing? Are they enough? And if not, why not?
1: I think we haven't seen very much yet. But I think a moment for the successors to these charismatic autocrats who could always say, well, you know, I run it in the way that I run it, but I've brought you the money. A moment for their successors to say, how were they going to keep the show on the road? And my sense was that they needed to see that their enlightened self-interest was to try and normalise its governance, trying to have basic business and corporate structures of governance and accountability because of the sheer amounts of money they were dealing with. I mean, it's very striking about the IOC. Of course, it had a a very amateur ethos. So when money was first on offer, it felt that it shouldn't take it. And so the problem of bringing the multi-million pounds in is that you still had these structures that couldn't cope with the money.
0: With the IOC one of the extraordinary things that strikes me is that here is this body of people who hold the Olympic Games in effect in trust for the sort of world's population it is exclusively self-appointed and to my current knowledge has about 8 women out of about 108 it's almost overwhelmingly European as well as being overwhelmingly male. What kind of strategies do you imagine might make some of these organisations a little more reflective if not necessarily responsive? To the societies that they serve?
1: I think what could cause reflection is scandal, but I think crisis driven reform is quite short term. One of the things I found when I looked at this is there is critical scrutiny, but it mainly comes from the media. It's quite short term, it's quite scandal driven and in the end it doesn't really offer an answer and I also think there's a problem with this critique it's useful to have some scrutiny of course the problem is it's often then allied to a nostalgia for what was lost of the sport of the 1950s a sort of age of amateurism because what seems to have ruined it is the greed and the money and that offers us a choice of modern commercial sport badly and autocratically run or what I call jumpers for goalposts. And people aren't going to go for jumpers for goalposts. So if if the critique and the scrutiny is always going to say, well, if we can't have the 19th century back, it's going to be terrible, then we don't have a way through. And that's why I think you have to take modern sport as a major commercial business seriously and ask how you would govern that legitimately rather than wanting some golden age back that we know was very problematic in itself. So to some extent, the critics have been in the wrong place too. One thing that occurred to me as well is that the sponsors are probably rather wary of using their influence. But if anyone's got the influence to really blow the whistle, it's probably the sponsors and the television companies because they're putting lots and lots of money in. Now, if you're a supporter, you might have limited trust in those actors as well. But you have to ask why are they investing it and what do they want to get out of it and is there a way to make common cause i think if you allow the tram lines to be is money in sport or not we're just not going to get anywhere at all
0: what you're proposing here is a kind of alliance between those sort of activists if you like in sports governance and sponsors as a way of applying pressure to the main international sporting bodies what kind of agenda would you want to see them pursue if you could just pick one or two changes that you would like to see in the structure or the governance of global sport what would you
1: pick one big issue would be who even gets a voice when major changes are underway and i think if you could get a sense that athletes and players and supporters were asked and that there was a balancing of interests and that what wasn't always done was the thing that delivered the biggest check tomorrow but the longer term interests. i think that would be an important thing
0: so you're suggesting that fans, that the general sporting public, should have some kind of say, some sort of stake in the decision-making in these organisations. How on earth could we make that happen?
1: I think it would be difficult, but I think it could work on several different levels. I think there are some really interesting experiments now in this country of supporter-run clubs, you know, using the model we see... At- clubs like Barcelona where there's a proper supporters democracy going on and so I think trying to learn from that is really welcome but I think there are much simpler things that you could do if you build a new stadium you could name it after the sponsors but that's the point at which you should always ask the fans which of our players should we name the stadium after what should the stands be called who should we put statues up of They're decisions that belong with the community of memory that is the supporter and so finding ways to always give the fans a voice not always a veto you might have to move the stadium and the fans might prefer to keep it but always giving them a voice and finding things that they could make the decisions over would just show respect for your supporters and not that you think well they're a market and they're a captured market because they can't switch from Manchester City to Manchester United so we can treat them however we want and I think that's too much the message that supporters get from sports administrators.
0: You prioritise democracy as a value in your political account of global sport. Reasonably recently you've argued that we should think about only allowing the great global sports festivals, the Olympics, the Winter Olympics, the World Cup, to be hosted by democracies. Can you just take me through that argument?
1: I think it's a controversial argument because firstly people say we don't want politics anywhere near sport and secondly people will say well sporting exchange is a useful way to join up cultures remember the ping pong diplomacy of uh, America and China and I think that's great at the level of participation but at the level of hosting I think we're talking about something else and I think there are Two levels at which you could pursue the argument. The first is that the primary thing that we look to the international sporting body to do is to provide for the integrity of the sporting competition. I'm not sure if you can do that when the host country is a dictatorship. The only times I can think of that very, very major sporting events like the World Cup where you're really not sure at the end whether the game was corrupt or not have actually been when they've been hosted by the Argentinian World Cup in 1978 when they had a group structure and Argentina had to win the game 6-0 and they won the game 6-0. Maybe they were having a good day but people had their doubts about that. I think there was a question about the refereeing as well in one of Mussolini's World Cup triumphs and it seems to me this is not coincidental. The 1980 Olympics in the Soviet Union which were boycotted by the West. The Soviet Union did very well these Germans did very well There wasn't very much drug testing. And we found out sometime later that this wasn't just athletes cheating, this was systematic doping as a project in national prestige there's that just basic element i think there's the broader thing that we can read the olympic charter full of fine words and sentiments it Seems like if you believed those fine words and sentiments you'd have to sign up to the united nations universal declaration of human rights and other bodies and talk seriously to people engaged with that about how you could manage your social cultural and political footprint the ioc in particular has always gone for the grandiose political gesture
0: Which strikes me as extraordinary, given that they're so insistent that politics and sport don't mix, and yet they can't resist choosing hosts who are going to conduct some gigantic exercise in diplomatic
1: soft power. And the the argument against myself, in a way, is that now in the culture that we've got, maybe you always get a hit for doing it, that picture of a football with barbed wire around it of Argentina in 1970, would anyone have heard about the disappeared if the World Cup hadn't gone there? You know, The focus which China is taking on around Tibet and other issues is so much greater, so it's good that other people get to use it for other agendas.
0: It often strikes me when watching and occasionally even visiting some of these sporting festivals that they increasingly have turned into corporate occasions run by some of the world's most unimaginative bureaucrats what kind of changes might we imagine at the level of these organizations that would turn these events into the sort of popular cultural festivals as well as sporting tournaments that they unquestionably are
1: well, I think a great deal could be done with that with a bit of imagination. The thing that really worries me, and perhaps it happens at the sort of more mid-level tournaments, maybe African Nations Cup and tournaments like this or the World Athletics Championships, you're often watching it on television and you're looking at an empty stadium and you realise that the prices have been set in such a way that nobody locally is there not enough has been done to attract tourism in, and the whole thing appears to have entirely failed. And it beggars belief that they can't have some way of filling the stands with school children. With the amount of rhetoric we get about youth development, you'd like to see a, a lot more focus on that, as well as trying to capture what the Olympic Games was meant to be about, which is that there's a big cultural celebratory sense of what it is to be human, and that sport in this way is its art and its culture unscripted art and drama of the highest kind, but you should do more with that. The new purpose-built Olympic Park is just six kilometres from central London. Every aspect of the design has been planned to meet the needs of athletes and create an exhilarating Olympic... Today, in Britain's fourth bid in recent years, we offer London's vision of inspiration and of legacy. Choose London today And you send a clear message to the youth of the world. The Olympic Games are for you. That concludes our presentation.
0: How do you think the organisation for the London 2012 Olympics is measuring up against the criteria of transparency, imaginativeness, democratisation that you've been arguing for?
1: I think there's a long way to go and it would be nice to see, you know, clearly there are some imaginative ideas that we could be pursuing. I think the worry is that there's so much focus on getting the infrastructure in place and doing it on anything that resembles the original budget, that these things will be seen as the expendable extras.
0: The International Olympic Committee has the honour of announcing that the Games of the 30th Olympiad in 2012 are awarded to the City of London. We've done
1: it. London have done it. If you want to think about tournament legacy, the tournament legacy is often in the spirit of the tournament as much as it's in the sporting infrastructure that you built. It seems to me that in a way, the World Cup in Germany in two thousand six was a really interesting example where actually you had a country and a government that were pretty wary about trying to do too much to manage the meaning of the Games. Actually, you've got a very soft patriotism that said something dramatic, actually, about Germany's sense of itself in Europe. We won the Games, the Olympic Games, in London because we told a story about London that is a half-truth, but it's a very, very attractive half-truth about the world in London and London being an incredibly tolerant and welcoming city. That's half true of London, it's half not true. And if we could use four or six years to make it true, when we tell the world that story and they go home, we actually believe it about ourselves, that would be something rather tremendous that would last with Londoners. But we've actually got to work quite hard about that because it's not as simple as pitching a three-minute video to the Olympic Committee.
0: Sunder Katwala, thank you very much indeed.
1: Great, thanks very much.
0: From the Open University...